0: Welcome to So and So, brought to you by Bernina Made to Create. I'm Meg Goodman, and you're about to enjoy a casual conversation with a special member of the sewist and quilting community. A conversation about how they got started, what inspires them, what excites them, and their connection to this community. Our guest today is Leanne Presley, founder and CEO of Stitchcraft Marketing, who has been marketing crafts for more than 20 years. She started out as an ad manager for Knits Magazine at Interweave Press and launched her agency in 2009. Leanne grew up in Western New York until she was about nine years old and then moved to the East Coast with her mom, then moved around several more times and graduated high school finally in Connecticut. She has a degree in creative writing from SUNY Purchase and a master's degree in sociology from Colorado State University. She began her career at Interweave Press working for sheep breed specialist, Deb Robson, who's the author of The Fleece and Fiber Sourcebook. And Leanne was an editorial assistant. And Deb also taught Leanne how to knit. From there, she became an ad manager and sold print ads until the housing recession forced her to pivot in her career. Leanne hosts a podcast, Business of Craft, and is also a certified consultant with the Colorado Small Business Development Center, where she consults with new entrepreneurs in a variety of businesses. She's a maker, quilter, knitter, spinner, and painter. And she just started mountain biking at 53 years old. Her family origins are Italian, and she's been studying the language since college, now at around an intermediate level of fluency. She's also visited Italy nine times. Leanne lives in a small mountain town in south central Colorado with her husband of 26 years, her 19 year old daughter, and two dogs. Hi, Leanne. Welcome to So and So. Thanks,
1: Meg. What a wonderful introduction.
0: You are a busy lady. You do a lot of stuff.
1: Yeah, you make me sound busy and and wonderful. Thank you for
0: that. Of course. And you're probably worn out just hearing this before we even get started. (laughs) Leanne, um, Let's jump right into this. How did you learn how to sew?
1: Well, uh, when you asked me to reflect on this, Meg, it brought me back to my middle school years. And those were the days when we had home economics classes still in public schools. Oh, sure. And I had these amazing electric blue fleece sweatpants that I made every day in class. I think it took a couple of weeks to put it together. Uh, and I just, I have really fond memories of that. I remember the little notches and you cut out the patterns and line up the notches and that huge elastic waistband. And man, I love those sweatpants. I wore them out for a really long time.
0: Did other people in your family sew?
1: Nope, they did not. Uh, my mother bought me a sewing machine a couple of years later after that middle school. So I remember like early high school, I had my own sewing machine, but I, of had to figure things out on my own. Mm-hmm. I, I remember being really proud of the fact I could thread it on my own. And but no, my, my family was not uh, crafty that way.
0: Now, interestingly, um, your degrees are in creative writing and sociology and, and you worked in ad sales. Yeah. So what inspired your interest in working in the sewing industry?
1: Well, I actually started my agency with An open mind in serving all craft companies because I am Mm multi-craftual. But soon after, as you mentioned in the intro, I began in knitting. So that interest in knitting and sewing just sort of led me to approach those companies. I really gravitated towards those companies to begin with. And so that's, that's kind of what brought me into sewing is that early interest and wanting to continue to pursue that through my career.
0: Now, in addition to your your work as your hobbies, you do myriad things. Talk to us about your spinning and painting, and you have a new hobby, as though you don't have enough else to do, which is making collages. So, share that with us. Sure.
1: Well, I think spinning, of course, is a is a natural progression, and a lot of knitters like me just want to get closer to the source. And I was working for Spinoff Magazine for Deb, like you mentioned in the intro, and I was just reading about spinning all day long. So I think that curiosity just burgeoned as a result of working in that position. Mm -hmm. And I continue to spin every week. I love it. And it's a great compliment to the knitting that I do. Uh, The painting and collage, let's see, that is more recent. And I would say that came from a new experience just hanging out with one of my artist friends. The town that I live in is. Uh, considered an artist community, so there's tons of creative people here. And I just went over to her house and I started hanging out in her studio and dabbling in watercolor and collage. She encouraged me to buy one of those botanical posters that you see, like the you know the ones that identify the plants. And so I oh sure thought, I'm sure. gonna cut I'm gonna cut that up and make something out of that. So that was my first collage project, and it turned out really well. Uh, and then I just have, I don't know, I'm a collector of things and I recently inherited a bunch of ephemera from my grandmother. Mm-hmm. And so I've been p- playing around with that. I've got some of her old report cards of my uh mother-in-law, actually. And that's been super fun just to kind of dig through all this old papers that she has and figure out how to cut them all up and, and put them back together. It's it's actually not Unlike quilting, if you think about it, you're using scissors and it's very tactile, and you're rearranging things and being creative to piece them all back together in a collage. So I think probably that's why I gravitate towards that.
0: It uh, it certainly keeps you busy when you aren't uh, consulting and, and helping businesses uh, level up with their marketing. What's mm-hmm. What's interesting is is you talk about Leanne that. Um, when a lot of entrepreneurs uh, get into business, they come into it as a hobby or a side hustle, especially mm. in, in crafting, but they don't know how to market. They, mm. They're really good at what they mm-hmm. do, but then how do they get this this out to to people? Mm-hmm. Um, share with us a little bit about this work that you do and and how you help entrepreneurs.
1: Yeah, sure. So you're right. A lot of people come into the space because... They were like me. They loved the craft and they want to be immersed in it every day. They want to buy all the yarn. They want to buy all the fabric. And then one day they realized that, oh my gosh, you know, I started off just wanting to do elevated stashing and now I've got a business and I can't tell you, Meg, I get calls every single week from people that say, I love what I do. I want to spend more time being creative and I know I have to do this marketing, but I hate it. Or they'll say, I know I have to do it, but I don't know how and I don't want to learn. And that's when they come to us. And and I think that's fine. You know, I I am a business owner and don't know how to master all the things. You know, I hire a lawyer. I hire an accountant. I hire a bookkeeper. I hire people to do the things that I'm not the best at. So, you know, I don't want to fault people that they're not coming into the business space with all the skills and all the tools. And, And often I even tell them, you know what? you're so smart to delegate to an agency because now you can free up your time and do more of the creative things that you're really good at. You, know, you, can, you can teach marketing, but you can't teach talent and design sure. skills and you know some of the things these really creative people are coming to the table with. So I give them forgiveness for that.
0: Is it, are there any common um, misperceptions that you see about um, people's understanding about marketing?
1: Oh, misperceptions. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of people come into the space without a fundamental understanding of some of the marketing basics. And people who've heard me before or to my podcast know I preach a lot about what I call the know, like, and trust funnel, mm-hmm. which is essentially this idea that people buy from people they know, like, and trust. So your job as a crafty business owner is to nurture that customer experience along that continuum. So I would say a lot of new businesses starting out don't understand that it takes time to get from that place where a customer knows absolutely nothing about your business to the point where, let's say, they're willing to trust you with a $5,000 purchase of a Bernina machine, right? Mm-hmm. And... uh That doesn't end when you become a mature business either, right? You need to continue to nurture those relationships. And I would say one other misconception is that social media is a silver bullet or that social Mm -hmm. media is a one and done marketing activity. Mm -hmm. But the good news and the bad news is you've got to continually be reinforcing your brand and your values through consistent marketing. And social media takes time.
0: Mm -hmm. It's not,
1: it's not just a, if, if I build it, they will come kind of marketing tool.
0: Mm -hmm. That's true. And by the way, you mentioned your podcast, which is business of craft. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just wanted to mention that again, because I'm sure our listeners would like to, um, to find that and, and begin to subscribe to that. Now, um, in, in helping the sewing and quilting businesses with their marketing, what are some important things for them to know? And, and let's look at this through two different lenses. Let's look uh, for those who are starting out and then for mature businesses.
1: Yeah. Well, like I just mentioned, I think the new businesses need to remember that it's not an overnight process. It's going to take time. And when a new client comes to onboard with our agency, that's part of the pep talk I give them. Is yes, we're going to work together, but we won't probably see traction on your account for three to six months. And that no, and that's like, three and, to
0: six months, yeah, months, mm-hmm. not weeks, months,
1: months. Right. Yeah, just to even tell people that you're a bit brand and a business. And, you know, think about it in every space of your life. And I'm sure you can imagine this, Meg, you're bombarded with marketing messages all the mm-hmm. time. I and mean, it's never been like this before. So, not only do you have to grab the attention of your consumer, but you've got to engage with them and think about it as a long-term relationship. It's got to be a conversation that starts. It takes three to six months to even get their attention. And then after that, you have the marketing work of nurturing that relationship and getting them to that part of the know, like, and trust funnel where they think you are the expert. You're the person that they want to buy their machine from. Etc.
0: Hello, sewing bees, it's Sue Avery Pruitt from Suki Sews. You know that dream studio you have in your head with every machine, notion, and accessory you want? We've all got one, and I just designed mine at BerninaSweepstakes.com, and you can design your own too, and then win it. I just had to have space for all my machines, the ones I already owned, and the ones I wanted to add to my studio see it for yourself and get in today. Bernina's dream studio, $100,000 giveaway, design your own dream studio at Berninasweepstakes.com. Dream it, design it, win it. Now let's talk about how entrepreneurs can work to bring more people into sewing and quilting. There's some mis uh, mis ideas out there that it's for, uh, only females or, Mm. um, you know, it takes a ton of money to do this or, you know, several different things that that keep people away. And yet um, it's really starting to to open up some, especially since the pandemic. Mm. Um, So let's talk about what you would say to entrepreneurs on how they can get people more interested and and say, hey, this is a good thing to do.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. The pandemic definitely opened up markets for more people, which is wonderful. Uh, I was, this makes me think of a conversation I was just having with a colleague in the industry and we were discussing the premier needle arts study of quilting that showed the age range of new quilters is expanding. Mm-hmm. It used to be 65 and older. That was the sweet spot. Well, now it's expanding and we're seeing a lot more younger people come into the market. Mostly, of course, in that the 50s range, age range. Uh, it's still something that you need more time to do and more disposable income to do. So, but the good news is it is expanding. And one thing that they found in the research was that people are coming into quilting because of what was referred to as independent interest. Okay. So what's happening is consumers are out in the world and they're like at Target, for example. And if you've been in Target recently, you've seen one of the trends where they have these quilted jackets. -hmm. And so you go into Target and they're like, I want to make that. And then they go into their local quilt shop and say, can you teach me how to make a quilted jacket? So that's what we would define as independent interest. So to me, that would suggest, uh, that folks are coming into the craft because of these independent experiences that they're having. So I guess the advice that I would translate that to for shop owners is you want to make sure that you've got projects and classes and other resources available to take advantage of those opportunities. And like I just mentioned about the age demographic, you also want to keep your eye open for uh, new quilters entering the market as 50-year-olds and begin to think about how to serve their needs as well.
0: And and I'm assuming um, that people learn differently, different speeds, um, in, uh, at it, it different ages. So keeping that in mind, I would assume is, uh, is an important thing too.
1: Mm-hmm, for sure. One of the examples I give for client consulting is around this idea of the customer avatar and really understanding, not just assuming who your customer is. So to your point earlier, Most shops are going to be serving females 65 and over, but maybe you have a a shop that brings in other types of consumers. Maybe it's men, maybe it's single moms, and they're going to have different needs, right? The single mom is going to probably be looking for quick projects, more affordable price point projects, something she can do after the kiddos go to bed. So I always advise my clients, don't make that assumption that because the research tells us this is typically who we're servicing, mm-hmm. you've got to do your own research for your own shop, and that's how you're going to be more successful.
0: I, I'm going to um, step aside for a second here and ask you to go back and um, define the term that you just used, customer avatar, okay. um, so that our listeners know uh, what what you're referring to. Sure.
1: So a customer avatar is... Often referred to as a target customer or a buyer persona, it's the person that you're serving in your business. And a lot of people will say, "Well, I'm I'm serving everybody. I, anybody who walks into my quilt shop, I'm going to sell them something." And I say, "Absolutely, yeah. We we want to differentiate between what I call fishing for a customer." And having someone swim in your net. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying don't, don't sell to someone that walks in the front door. That's someone swimming into your net. But we want to be conscientious about who we're going after in our efforts to fish for a specific type of customer. Mm-hmm. So we use the phrase customer avatar to refer to that specific person.
0: So let's let's dig a little bit deeper uh, about uh, people coming into to crafting, sewing, and quilting. Mm-hmm. Um, there are definitely societal and economic barriers for genders, economically disadvantaged individuals. Um, how can people, the entrepreneurs and the crafts work to Im- uh, eliminate this?
1: Mm. Well, I feel like that's kind of a two-part question. And first I will say, I think, diversity in general is something that the entire crafting industry needs to be thinking about. And we have to have this top of mind. Ensuring opportunities for anyone and everyone who wants access to fiber and crafts is going to be one of the only ways that we grow and survive and thrive as an industry, right? Mm -hmm. And and I love this question because I personally feel like I've been trying to learn a lot more about access and inclusion and Trying to figure out the answer to your question. How do we get more people into the craft? And I do think some of the things I've heard and I'm learning about are like inclusive spaces, making sure that we're creating a sense of belonging in our stitching communities. Uh, I would say for shop owners or fabric companies, that means greater representation with designers that you're featuring um for consumers it means supporting companies that walk the walk when it comes to these kinds of issues and then the second part of your question about the economically disadvantaged i think that's probably a little more challenging mm-hmm. um but i i love what we've seen uh like going back to my experience in the public schools having curriculum that is available like uh In the Waldorf-inspired public schools where they're teaching kids handcrafts, they're teaching them how to sew, they're teaching them how to knit, Uh, that can be an access point for kids that might not otherwise have availability for those programs. Boys and girls clubs teach sewing after school. Uh, And then for adults, I mean, let's not forget, you know, the ubiquitous senior centers and community centers. And we've got guilds, of course, those are another great place for adults. That might not have access to find an entry point into sewing.
0: One uh, comment that you have made is that you wish schools would bring back the, uh, the mm. home ec classes.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and and some of them are the town that I live in. We've got a couple of different charter schools, and they definitely have Put value on teaching kids to sew, and I've been tapped to do. You know, can you come over and teach kids how to knit? So I know that that's happening. Hmm. But as you know, in the public schools, we're just seeing cuts across the board and budget cuts, and we could probably have a whole show discussing the budgetary constraints of public schools. And I mean, they're even cutting out music classes now. So Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that home ec is going to come back into the school systems unless it is under the auspices of one of these alternative types of schooling models
0: Sure. Leanne, what personal creative projects are you working on right now?
1: Oh, let's see. I've well Meg, I've always got tons of irons in the fire, mm-hmm. so uh, let me go through the catalog in my brain here. I've got uh, a sweater. It's a yoke sweater I'm making out of some hand spun. And I've finished a new pinwheel quilt recently with I've got all the half square triangles pieced together. And then tomorrow I'm super excited. I'm going to be going to a tailoring workshop in the city and they teach you how to fix and correct all the clothes that you're not wearing because the hem is too long or the sleeves are too tight. So I'm sure I'll probably be working on those pieces for a couple of weeks. Um, And I should also give a shout out to uh, folks at knit the rainbow. I don't know if you've ever heard of that organization, but we, Recently started working with them. Uh, they're an organization in New York City, and they collect hats, well, all hand knit garments, for LGBTQ plus youth in New York City. So I've got a couple of hats ready to go, and I'm kind of continually making hats for their their winter push.
0: And your mountain biking. Yes. <laughs> what What made you take that up at, at at this point in your life? I think it's fascinating.
1: Yeah. Well, I live in a mountain town, and Folks that are in my community are have always been very athletic and very outdoorsy. So most of my girlfriends all are mountain bikers, and I never quite got on board with that. And just recently, I went to Snowmass, Colorado, where they have what's called a lift serve when you get in the gondola. And go up the ski mountain and then you're just riding down. And I thought, well, I like this. If I don't have to climb up, I just, it's like a roller coaster. <laughs> I just jump on my bike and ride down. That's the fun part. Uh, so right sure. now I'm in the process of shopping for a new mountain bike and I hope I don't you know, break a bone. That's always what you think about in your older age, but I'm hoping that I will stay in front of that by building bone and staying strong so that I can keep my balance and go out there and have fun. And my husband's a huge mountain biker, so it's just another thing we can do together. So, yeah, I'm going to try it.
0: Well, we'll look forward to hearing more about that <laughs> as you as you buy the bike and try. I think it's, it's wonderful. What an adventure. That sounds great. Now, on another adventure, you are working on an industry research piece that you're going to be presenting at, at the uh, H&H Americas Conference in 2023. Would you tell us about that?
1: Yes, I am. That's probably the most exciting thing we're working on here at Stitchcraft Marketing. And it's going to be a big undertaking for our agency. But we're, we're right now in the early stages of working on what the research piece looks like. And I'm working with a third-party research agency. And we're going to probably be focused on retail shop owners in the fiber and fabric industry because that's what we specialize in to try to learn more about buyer behavior and marketing practices, best practices. And we're going to be presenting that at the next H&H trade show, like you said, and that's June in Chicago. And I'm crossing my fingers for a keynote spot that we'll be able to have a nice big audience um, because it's it's been a long time. I mentioned the premier needle arts survey of the quilting industry. But other than that, there's not a research piece in our industry that captures more broad data. It's That one is just the quilting market and it's very proprietary to the company that paid for it, whereas ours will be a little bit broader. And I'm hoping that we'll make that data accessible to as many people that need it. Uh, our goal is to, of course, help the industry thrive and grow. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to what that turns out to look like.
0: And, uh, and sharing that with people yeah. will be so beneficial. So we'll certainly look forward to, to that. Uh, all good stuff. Yeah, Leanne, um, what's next for you? What's your dream?
1: Oh, what's next for me? Meg, those are hard questions. <laughs> uh, let's see. Well, work-wise, I would say what's next is probably really more of the same. I know that might be very boring, mm-hmm. but continuing to help entrepreneurs in the craft space level up their marketing game. And I like I said, I try to think of our work as a contribution to the next generation of crafters, and we're going to continue to work to try to keep the industry growing and thriving. Mm-hmm. And personally, I would say, wow, my, my craft dream is to use all the features on my Bernina machine and expand my skills. I was lucky enough to uh, be able to get a more advanced machine. And right now I'm a little intimidated by it, but I've got tons of support and lots of teachers and lots of clients that are Bernina shop owners. So I just need to grow and keep trying new things on my machine. Like I said, I'm doing that half square triangle project and I'm kind of stuck in half square triangle land. Mm -hmm. So I need to get to a place where that skill advances Uh, and clothes. I'm really interested in making my own clothes. I love that slow fashion movement and going to this tailoring class. I'm super excited about being able to alter my clothes and get to a point where I have a wardrobe that I love instead of cycling through things that just don't quite fit me very well. So
0: Mm -hmm. that would be really fun. So I have one more question for you. We've talked about a lot of things today. Was there one question I didn't ask you that you wish I had?
1: Oh, a question you didn't ask me. Let's see. I would say maybe just the most common question that I get from our clients, which is how to manage your social media program. I think a lot of shop owners and B2B businesses as well get super frustrated with not knowing how to manage their marketing program and they get really discouraged. So I guess maybe it'd be part pep talk and part advice, which is, You don't have to do all the things you can pick one or two of your social channels or something that you do really well, like your newsletter or your blog, and just focus on that. Just get really, really good at that one thing. And I often am giving clients permission to just take a breather and step back. And even Mm. though I do think, of course, I'm in the business of telling people social media is a very effective tool. I don't want it to overwhelm people and they can just take it bird by bird and bit by bit and they will eventually get there.
0: Leanne, this has been a great conversation today. And I want to thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Um, I know our listeners are going to want to reach out to you. So what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Oh, thank you. I appreciate the time. Meg, it's been fun. I guess uh, listeners can find me at our website, which is stitchcraftmarketing.com or they can find us on the podcast, which is Business of Craft, and we are on all of the podcast platforms.
0: That's great. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you, Meg. Well, there you have it. Another story about someone just like you. Someone for whom sewing and quilting is so much more than a hobby, it's a way of life. It's a connection to something much bigger. If you know someone you think has an outstanding story, a story that should be shared on this podcast, Please drop me a note to Meg at soandsopodcast.com or just complete the form on our website. Be sure to subscribe to review and rate this podcast on your favorite platform and visit our website soandsopodcast.com for more information about today's and all of our guests. That's S-E-W-A-N-D-S-O podcast.com. And finally, I want to thank Bernina for making this program possible. I'm Meg Goodman, and I look forward to you joining us next time on So-and-So.